Um, okay, so. When Elijah was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. <clears throat> Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows, strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will only be victorious three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. And if we just skip down to verse 25. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, recaptured from Bed-Hadad, son of Hazel, the towns that had been taken from Jehoash's father, Jehoahaz. Wow, there's a lot of Jehoahaz there. Jehoash defeated Ben-Hadad on three occasions, and he recovered the Israelite towns. So just bow your heads with, with me. Father, we just pray for the, your word today. Lord Jesus, we just pray that comes with your power, with your anointing, Lord. We want you to be lifted up, Lord. We want, we want to leave this place thinking how great you are, Lord, and how awesome you are. Lord, let our eyes be focused on you, Lord, as we hear your word and let it touch our lives and bring about victory in every circumstance and situation we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So after the last, um, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, um, Pastor Rod's been doing a teaching, uh, prophecy teaching, over the last two weeks, and um, I've been really enjoying that. We, we get incredible um, preaching from Pastor Rob um, e each and every week, and uh, it's such a blessing to be in a church serving alongside Pastor Rob on the team. He's such a Pastor Rob and Pauline, such uh, incredible leaders, such great leaders for our church at this time. And and you know, get behind them. It, it's an awesome work that we're doing, and we need. It, we all want, need to be engaged in it for us to, to fully do what God's called us to do in one heart. So, um, and other leaders as well. Pastor Kylie does incredible amounts of work, runs the Bible college, does all sorts of stuff behind the scenes, um, secretarial stuff. Um, yeah, incredible leadership. Um, you know, um, Mark and Ruth stepping up this year into leadership roles and doing an incredible job. Jimmy and Beth on the worship team. Um, Kimberly does loads of stuff around the place. So get around those guys and encourage them and say, well done, we want to back you. Pastor Josh in, in youth, incredible things happening in youth, youth this, this year. You know, growth in youth and just seeing the changes there. So it's an exciting time. So Elijah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. He succeeds Elijah the prophet. And this is Elijah's last prophecy in his lifetime. He dies straight after giving this prophecy. And this prophecy and this event is relevant to us today and it teaches us and encourages us in our walk with God. So 
if we look through this, it says, When Elijah was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him, wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. So Elisha is probably, they reckon, about 90 years old. So he's 90 years old. And he's, he's a man that has walked with God. But at the end of his life, he hasn't hung up his boots. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't said, I've, I've, I've done what I've needed to do. And now I've, I've hung up my boots. He's like, you know what? There's still work to do. And he's on his deathbed. And he's like, how can I bless someone? How can I speak into someone's life? How can I do what God has called me to do? I'm just about to die, but his focus is still, I could still serve here. I could still do something here um, at this time. And you know what? There's something supernatural about ministering to others out of your own need. He was suffering from an illness that he died from. He's in great need, Elisha. And yet he's still ministering, even though he has his own needs in his life. And, you know, us as Christians, we, we walk through life. We have our own needs. We have, there's issues there that we battle with. But there's something supernatural about having the ability to keep looking outward and keep ministering even through your own needs. Think of Jesus on the cross. He's, he's, he's literally um, nailed to a cross. He's got nails in his hands. He's been whipped, beaten, crown of thorns on his head. And you would think if anyone had a time to have, be self-pity or thinking, woe is me. And yet he's on the cross and he looks around and he sees John, uh, John and his mother. And he says, look after my mother. He's like, oh, make sure you look after her as he's hanging on the cross about to die. He's still thinking of others. What needs to happen here? John, you need to look after her here just before I go. It's incredible. Um, and that's supernatural. We can't do that in our own strength. But God will minister to our needs as we keep ministering to others. It doesn't mean you just ignore them and just soldier on, get help if you need it, but, but try and keep outward and keep looking to what, uh, the needs of those around us. And so Jehoash was weeping over Elisha's life ending. But we don't have to listen to those voices that say how bad, how hard it is for us, how unfair. Be sad and sorrowful. We don't have to listen to those voices. Yes, you know, Elisha didn't have time to get into self-pity and sorrow about his situation. He knew his calling was to love people, to do the work God had called him to do right to the end. And so, but there is a temptation when we have difficult times to go inward and to start to shut up our lives and start to look after ourselves and think, you know what, I just have to look after myself here. I just have to make sure that I'm okay. And I don't have the resources to, to help anyone else. But when, while king, the king is crying, Elisha says to him, no, pick up, pick up some bows and arrows. Pick up that bow and arrow. He's saying, look, it's, 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 a, it's a wartime. Like, don't, don't lose sight of that. And, and today we're in a war. And you might be facing difficulty. And, you know, there might be sorrow and, and suffering in your life. But... God is saying, pick up, the, pick up the bow and arrow. We're still in a war. There's, there's a war. And there's going to be a time of peace when heaven comes, but currently we're in a war on earth. It's a battle. And so pick up the bow and arrows and stay engaged. Stay focused in wartime. Stay engaged in what God has called us to do at this time. In Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, He who observes the wind 
and waits for all conditions to be favourable will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So the farmers, any, are there any farmers here today? One, Pete, yeah, two, ah, two. Farmers, I'm, I'm not a farmer, I, don't, I probably don't know the first thing about farming, but I assume that there's no, if, if, if Pete was like, all right, there's got to be, I'm just waiting for this 22 degree perfect day, that all the, all the moisture's perfectly in the ground, 100%, everything's just right, I'm feeling good, I'm, you know, everything's right, my tractor's right, everything's perfect here, all right, now I'm going to sow. I don't think he would ever have a time. I think there would be some adverse situation. Is that right, Pete? There would be something that's not quite right, but he's like, well, I have to sow anyway. I just have to sow. Otherwise, I'm not going to reap. And we can't look for perfect circumstances in our life before we start to serve or start to sow into things. We can't wait until we've got the, the million in the bank before we start to sow and tithe. You know, we can't wait until, you know, I've got every duck in a line and I'm walking like Jesus before I start to serve you just got to start to serve and and just and just serve regardless of if the conditions aren't favorable and so he says to pick up the bow and arrow and then he says Elijah tells the king put put your hand on the bow and Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands and so in this act, Elijah is picturing to the king, God's hands are on your hands. You've got, there's an upcoming battle here that you're going to face. God's hands are on your hands. And you're not fighting in your own strength. He has ordained you for this battle to come. He has ordained you. He is supernaturally empowering you. He will enable you to fight what is to come and any future battles you will face. You won't be on your own fighting in your own strength. God will give you strength and empower you. When you are weary from pulling back the bow, he will give you the strength to draw it back and keep drawing. That's what he was saying in that, in that, in when he puts his hands on the king's hands. He will guide you in every strat your strategy, each and every step. With each draw of the bow, he will direct your hands. You will be accurate. The arrows will hit the mark. That's what he's saying to the king. And in Psalm 18.34, it says, He makes my hands expert in war, so that, I can, that, a, so that a bow of brass is bent by my arms. I don't know about you, but there's times in the, in the Christian walk when you're going to get weary of drawing this bow time and time again but God is saying you know I'll give you the strength if you commit to keep drawing keep fighting the fight of faith I'll continue to give you strength I'll continue to cause you to be accurate I'll continue to make you an expert in the in the in the battle so God has placed his hands Jesus has placed his hands on your hands when you became a Christian, he placed his hands on your hands so that what you do would succeed, so that you would have victory in every battle you face. He has ordained us, he has empowered us, and he's put our hands, his hands on our hands. And so, after he's done that, he says, open 
that eastern window. And the king opens it. So the window, and they say the win- that window was what f- the, the direction of the, of the enemy that he had to fight. And so he, Elisha says, open that window. Like, don't shut yourself off from, from evil situations, from darkness, from things going wrong in the world or issues and situations. Don't close yourself off. Open the window and face the battles to come. Open your life up. There's such a tendency when it, when it gets, when there's evil seeming to abound or increasing for us to go, you know what, I'm shutting my window. I'm shutting my window. I'm, I'm shutting my life down. And I'm, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to, there's too much going on in the world. I can't face it. But God is saying, no, don't do that. Open that window. Directly facing the enemy and stay engaged in the battle. Don't close up your life from evil intimidation and become passive and purely defensive. You see that Satan works heavily through intimidation and trying to instill a sense of fear in people. And that's really the only way he can stop a Christian is to blow himself up as big as he can and say, look how big, bad, ugly I am. I'm going to get you and then you submit to fear and, and you cower back, you shut your window, and he's like, cool, there's one down, let's go for another one. But I remember one time I had this dream once. It was a funny dream, but there was this, there was this big, I was on this little sort of cliff edge. It was a bit sort of surreal, but there was this massive sort of ogre sort of monster feature, just huge, blowing itself up in front of me. And, and it was like intimidating, fearful thing. But I had this pin with me, and I went like that, pop. And it just popped and went, shh, fizzled down to nothing. But that's what he does. He knows that Jesus has given us victory and has given us every battle and every th- weapon to overcome. So he has to go, right, I have to try and make them believe otherwise. I have to try and make them scared and timid and, and hiding away. Don't, don't let the devil do that. He, it's one of his tricks. We're not called to cower away. We're called to be bold as lions. We're called to be on the offensive in our fight to overcome sin in our own lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and the evil in the world around us. David ran towards the giant. Jesus marched towards the cross. There was a moving forward towards what was intimidating, what was fearful, what was trying to stop. There's a moving forward. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail against a church gates don't move the church is moving through and the gates aren't going to stop it from moving forward it says in 2 timothy 3 4 1 to 4 but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days people be lovers of themselves lovers of money boastful proud abusive disobedient to parents ungrateful holy without love unforgiving slanderous without self-control brutal not lovers of the good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now that's, that's the time we're in. We're in the last days. That's the time we're in. But it's not, that's not to say, oh yeah, that's what the world's like and you know, we just judge them and they just condemn the world. He's saying despite that, love, go out and love people. Make a difference. The Bible says to fight evil with good. Fight evil with good. We don't fight evil with evil. We're going to go out and do good 
and fight evil with good, no matter how much it, it, it abounds. Jesus has called us to shine our light in the world around us. It's, not, it's time to fight. It's time to fight evil with good, to fight with, the pow- with power and love and the word of God. Let's not let our love grow cold. Let it, let it grow hotter and hotter. As it gets darker and darker, let, us, let the church shine brighter and brighter and show the way home to, to a loving father. And so he, he, the king has got, got the bow and arrows and he, he's opened the window and Elisha says, shoot. So he draws back and he shoots out this window just into the, I'll just imagine it was into the distance. I don't know if it was night when this was happening or what, but he just draws it back and just shoots it and this arrow just flies off in the direction of the enemy. He doesn't see where it lands just flies off in that general direction. And Elisha proclaims, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. So this is a prophetic word that Elisha gives to the king. He says, you will completely defeat them. And this first arrow... This first arrow is the Lord's arrow. So it's, it's, it's like, it's Jesus, basically. The first arrow is Jesus. God has drawn back the bow, shot Jesus into the, into the darkness, into the realms of evil, and struck a, a mortal wound. He's defeated the enemy. He shot that arrow, and it's just landed. It's hit the mark. God was accurate. Jesus has won the victory. When he died on the cross, he won the victory. It was done. And when he shot, shot this arrow, he's, he's saying, he has gone before us. He is our forerunner. God has, in a sense, in love, shot Jesus into the world of darkness and sin and evil, and he hit the mark. The enemy is defeated by that one shot. Jesus already has victory and is seated at the right hand of God with all authority and power. That's where he, seats, he is seated now, with all authority and power. That's total and utter. There's no one greater than him. He has all authority over everything. And if you are a born-again Christian today, sitting here today, the first arrow has already been shot over your life. It's already been shot. As soon as you said, forgive me, I want to accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, that arrow is shot over every uh, evil, dark thing in, in your life, every sin, everything. It was shot and it hit the mark. It says in Romans 8, 35 to 37, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So the Bible clearly says here not to have an incorrect mindset that we'll never have troubles in the Christian life. We, you know, that to expect that we'll just have this lovely, comfortable um, ride to heaven on this, on this comfortable mattress. The Bible doesn't... We sell comfortable mattresses at the bargains if you want one, by the way. <laughs> but, bit of a plug there um but that's not that's not what the christian life (laughs) 
That's not what the Christian life is. No, clearly we're instructed that troubles do come, and possibly lots of them. But there is a prophetic word over our life, and that prophetic word is victory. That's spoken over our lives. Is that, that prophetic word of victory is already spoken over our lives. Not for phys- physical, external victory, but for internal kingdom victory. Victory in every part of our inner beings and victory for others in their life. And so he's, he's shot this arrow and then, and then Elisha says, Now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be only, only be victorious, victorious three times. So when Israel came to the edge of um, the promised land in the Old Testament, there was a prophetic word of victory for them. God had said, you will defeat the, the enemies in this land. You will defeat the giants. I've sent you. I've ordained you. I'll supernaturally empower you, you will ha- win. You will have victory. And it's, and it's kind of in that same sort of vein here for the king. But they would still have to fight by faith and actually battle to overcome. There's a verse there that w- we often use this verse in, in Christian life, and it's not wrong to use it, but it was when Moses was standing with the Israelites between the advancing Egyptian army and the Red Sea that blocked their pass, uh, path, He answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So God says, it all sounded very nice, just, just, let's just be still and the Lord will fight for us. But God says, No, move forward. Move forward. Don't just be still in this situation. Move forward in this situation. And you know what? Sometimes we blanket things that are for specific situations over all of the Christian walk. Like there are times when the Israelites were in the promised land, there were times when they just sat still. God just totally annihilated the enemy or just won this victory. They did nothing. They just woke up and bang, there it was. Ah, All the spores were on the ground. The enemy was lying dead or defeated. But there's, I can only think of a couple of times when that happens. Usually, they, God says, here, take this step of faith or take this action or you fight and I'll fight with you. And so there are times in battles in our life when that word will be accurate for us. It will be, be still. I will win this for you. You don't have to do a thing. But there's other times when he's going to say, I will fight for you. You only need fight. You only need to fight and I will fight for you and with you. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in a, in a couple of his letters. In Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Has anyone reached perfection here this morning? Raise up your hand. I'm not raising up my hand, by the way, but is anyone perfect? Is anyone pressing on? good that's that's all that's what we're called to to press on to keep pressing on 
In Colossians 1 to 28, 29, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which works so powerfully in me. So in our Christian walk, we need to be pressing on with the power he provides and the promise of victory. So that we, and the energy that he supplies. There's a promise of victory, but he says, keep pressing on. Even if you get a bit tired and weary, keep pressing on. Keep pressing through and you will see that victory. Paul, in, in, in some of these cases, Paul uses this word agonizomai, um, which is Greek, I would assume, agonizomai. Agonizomai was a familiar term in writings of both military and a- athletic endeavours and was used to emphasise the concentration Discipline, conviction and effort needed to win in both arenas. It pictures a runner straining every nerve to the uttermost towards the goal. It means to exert oneself, to fight, to labour fervently, to devote serious effort or energy. It implies great exertion against great difficulty and suggests persistent effort. The use of this term can imply fighting against hindrances in the development of the Christian life. Paul reminds us that faithful Christian ministry is not easy. It takes courage and expenditure of great effort to win the Christian race successfully, albeit that effort ultimately being in the power God supplies. So there is, we are called to make that effort, and sometimes it is hard and difficult, but he will empower us. He will help us to keep going and get up. We need to rest at times, yes, but ultimately our life should be one of engaging in the battle and moving forward and gaining ground in our Christian walk and growing and developing and seeing the church grow and develop. And so King Jehoash gives up after striking three times. And they, they reckon, when I was looking, researching it, they reckon that I always thought it was like hitting the ground, like getting a bunch of arrows and hitting the ground. But they reckon it was like he's drawing the, the bow and shooting it at the, at the earth. So he shoots at the earth three times. It's probably not that significant, whether it's beating or, or shooting. But anyway, it's an interesting, interesting fact. But I reckon he's shooting the earth. He's shooting what has been cursed, what has been broken, what, uh, you know, what, has, what, what has been broken by sin. And he's shooting that. And he shoots it one, two, three times. And then he stops. And Elisha gets aggro at him. He's like, what are you doing? Three times. Why don't you go five or six times? Then you would have completely won. So he's had this prophetic word, but he's not going to see it fulfilled because he only shot three times. He could have, but he stopped. And so it's not going to see it fulfilled. And Elijah gets angry. And he gets angry. You, You see in the Old Testament, when God gets angry sometimes, it's because... Through the Old Testament, he's trying to paint this picture of Jesus, of Jesus in all these situations. He's trying to paint this picture of Jesus, like when the manna comes down from heaven and they're like complaining, oh, manna again. Oh, why are we, you know, and God gets angry. And I think, well, that's probably fair enough. Like, imagine if you had to eat porridge, breakfast, lunch, dinner for 40 years. Like in the natural, you'd think, yeah, well, fair enough. They got a bit... They got a bit fed up with the porridge. But that wasn't the point because the manna represented Jesus. And so they were effectively saying, Jesus isn't enough for us. 
He doesn't fulfill us enough. We need something extra. We need something different. And, and when Moses is striking the rock, he strikes it once and then he, uh, God says, speak to it the second time. And he gets, Moses gets angry and just strikes it again. And, he's, and God's like, no, that, that wasn't the picture I was trying to create. Like Jesus was killed once for mankind. He was struck once for the sins of man. He doesn't have to go again. He doesn't have to be struck again for the water to flow. And so it's another time like that when, when God is trying to show this, this picture that Jesus has won the victory. And so you keep going. Keep going until you get that victory. He's, 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 he's given you victory in every area. Total and complete victory is yours so don't stop halfway. Don't stop halfway. God has won that victory. Don't fall into un- unbelief. God doesn't want us to settle for anything less than what he has won for us. He doesn't want us to settle for anything less than complete overcoming in our life. That's what the Bible talks about. It doesn't talk about partial overcoming or a little bit here and there or you might, you might get a bit of help with that sin or that issue, but not, or not fully. You'll be able to manage it, but it won't fully go away. That's not what the Bible says. He says, no, you will have victory over those areas that you struggle with. You will have full victory and complete victory. And that's the picture that he was trying to create here about Jesus. That's what Jesus does. And so don't lose faith in the victory that Christ has already won for you. When we stop striking the ground, God doesn't put us under wrath or condemn us. But he is like, I've declared my love for you. I have won a great victory for you. I have promised you you will overcome and win every battle you engage in because I'm with you. When you're tired, I'll draw back the bow for you. I'll teach you how to win every battle. I have ordained you, empowered you. I declare victory over every battle you will ever face. Why have you stopped fighting? Why have you stopped fighting? And so it goes on. You know, and if, if you're here today and you've stopped fighting, why have you stopped fighting? You have the victory. It's won for you. You can start again and keep going. And so when it gets to verse 25, we see that that king, I'm not going to go through all the Jehoahs again. And it's too tongue twister. But he recovers three towns. So if we stop fighting the good fight and stop believing in the prophetic declarations over our lives, then we may get some victory and then stop in our Christian walk. We can get to a certain place and then stop and stay comfortable, but we won't obtain the full victory if we stop fighting. If we give up, we won't get the total victory. But if we fight, we will keep winning. See, that, that's an incredible promise. All we have to do is keep fighting. Just stay in the battle. Just stay in the game and you will win. You'll keep winning. That, that God has promised that. For every child of, in 1 John 5, 4 to 5, it says, For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. Who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Conquerors will march in the victory parade. 
This is in Revelation 3, 5. Their names indelible in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. Um, I'll just get the music team to come up now, if you wouldn't mind. Um, so this king, he only got one chance. He only got one chance to strike the arrows and it was over for him. He, that, he, he couldn't, he, he'd sealed his own fate. He was only going to get partial victory. He wasn't going to get full victory. But for the Christian, our whole lives are a striking a ground with these, with these arrows, striking the ground with the arrows. So it's, if, you, if, you are, if you are drawing back that bow and continuing to fight, be encouraged that you are guaranteed victory and you will fully overcome you will just fully will fully overcome but if you have stopped today you recognize that you know what i got to a point and i just stopped drawing the bow i was tired i just disengaged i just thought you know what it's enough life's not too bad it's not too bad i've gained some ground i'm a bit better now so i'll just leave it there now well don't settle for that Jesus is calling to you today to say, pick up those, pick up those bow and arrow again. Pick it up again. Open that window again. Open it wide open. Think about what I've declared over your life. That arrow shot for you in that what Jesus has done for you. Consider that and pick up those arrows again and start, start shooting again. Start shooting that ground again. And you're going to start continuing to moving forward again in your life. That's what he 